Oh, it's a great, great morning, your first day in heaven, when you stroll down the golden avenue. There are mansions left and right, and you thrill at every sight, and the saints are always smiling, saying, how do you do? Oh, it's a great, great morning, your first day in heaven, when you realize your worrying days are through. You'll be glad you were not idle, took time to read your Bible, it's a great, great morning for you. I had a dream and I'll confess I hated to awake. I dreamt I was an angel at the great pearly gate. St. Peter said, why hello there, where have you been? We've got your mansion ready, so come right in. And then he rang for an angel to act as his guide. He spread his wings a time or two to learn how to fly. Oh, it's a great, great morning, your first day in heaven when you stroll down the golden avenue. There are mansions left and right as you thrill at every sight. And the saints are always smiling, saying, how do you do? Oh, it's a great, great morning, your first day in heaven, when you realize your worrying days are through. You'll be glad you were not idle, took time to read your Bible. It's a great morning, a great morning. What a happy All right. Well, take your Bible, turn over to the book of Philippians. What a great day that'll be, amen? That'll be a good one. Uh, what was the song that you guys sang at camp again? What a day that will be. <clears throat> I was supposed to sing with the boys, um, <clears throat> and I couldn't sing at the camp. My voice was shot. That's what happens when you're the champion. <laughs> yeah, my team won the Super Bowl. That's all right. Not boasting or anything, just sharing the facts. <laughs> you tell the boys when you're in the huddle before the game, you say, now listen, fellas, you're going out there to play the game, and it's not about me winning, it's about you winning. But down deep, you're going, I want to win, I want to win, I want to win. <clears throat> and we did, we, we, we won. We had a battle on our hands, Josh Starkey's team played us, and of course, Josh was a raving maniac. But we blocked him a little bit, and Cody was on team two. That's right. Cody was actually, Cody, you was running the ball some, weren't you? You know the wrath of blue. <clears throat> you didn't get hit by none of our boys? Okay. Well, anyway, we had a good time, though, and it was fun. A couple of the guys, we was kind of talking smack back and forth a little bit. The first day we had to play them, we got beat by them a few days earlier that week, and then we had to play them again. So I wasn't talking any smack that last day after I got embarrassed by them. <clears throat> they beat us. But anyway, we won. So in the end, like even on a, I don't even know what I'm talking about. Let's move on to the message here. <laughs> Philippians chapter 1. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 1 today. Let's look at verse uh, 4 real quick. The Bible says in verse 4, Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making requests with joy. Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making requests with joy. He's making some requests with joy. Joy. Chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Finally, my brethren, <clears throat> rejoice, in the, uh, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Notice, rejoice in the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 4 again. <clears throat> rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You know, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul is spending a lot of time in the book of Philippians telling them to rejoice, to experience joy. And, um, <clears throat> you know, this is a prison epistle. We know he wrote it from prison, and yet here he is writing these things to these Philippians. Philippians, of course, was written to uh, the church at Philippi. And uh, Paul had a very unique relationship with them. Um, matter of fact, uh, this letter that he's writing now is, is a wonderful letter uh, of commendation. It's encouraging the people of God. He's not condemning them for anything here. He's commending them, and he's trying to encourage them. And we know that the relationship that he had with them was very unique because it had already begun many years before on his second missionary journey. And there he had met Lydia, of course. Uh, 
recorded the she's recorded to have been the first um, <clears throat> convert in, in Asia Minor to our knowledge there in that area and uh, then they set he set up his um, uh, I guess his uh, operation center right there in her home she was a woman of means as a result of that she was opening her home to them allowing them to work in and through her home and through the uh, through that in that area and that was awesome and um, <clears throat> then he of course delivered a, demo, a demonic young girl from uh, from satanic oppression and, and, and even uh, possession. And when that happened, I mean, things blew up in Philippi. I mean, in Philippi, they went crazy. Matter of fact, they threw him in jail. He, so he's just arriving now, and uh, he meets Lydia and has his base of operation there. He ends up uh, casting out a demon out of this young woman. And next thing you know, he's in jail. And you read about in Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer. You know, here they are, Paul and Silas singing praises unto the Lord in the middle of the night at midnight. And then all of a sudden the, the earthquake comes and the bars of the prison are opened. And uh, they uh, are supernaturally delivered. And so that's how this whole thing starts off in Philippi. So, I mean, to tell you, it was a miraculous beginning to this ministry. Paul's ministry in Philippi was uh, just a miraculous ministry. And souls started being saved, lives started being transformed and changed. And the fact is, is that churches started springing up all over the area. And we have evidence of those throughout the Word of God. And so there was great things taking place here. And uh, along the way, Philippi, of course, loving Paul, kept up with him. But then they lost track of him. He goes to Jerusalem. He gets uh, thrown into, you know, into custody. Next thing you know, we find him all the way in Rome. And they have no clue where he's at now. Like I said last week... They, they didn't have, you know, Facebook, and they didn't have the, the postal system like we, quite, we have it, and we, they weren't accessible to information like we do, so they lost track of him. They didn't have any clue where Paul was, and for two years, they wondered, where in the world's the Apostle Paul? Whatever happened to him? We haven't heard a thing from him. We haven't been able to communicate with him, but he gets to Rome now, and when he's in the Roman prison, they find out, hey, he's, he's in Rome. We've got word that he's in Rome. So they send Epaphroditus, their pastor. Epaphroditus takes a gift and he, he goes to, before Paul trying to somehow meet his needs, be a blessing to him any way he could possibly be. And while he's there, Paul the Apostle writes this letter to the Philippians. And of course, you can only imagine how thrilled he is. This young, budding church, this church that had just taken on the Word of God and who had really received the Word of God and, and, and started to follow in the steps of the Apostle, and he's just excited to hear that they haven't forgotten about him. And, and for them to try to meet his needs, he was just thrilled. And so here he is now writing this, this message or this letter to them. He understands they're experiencing some difficulties. He knows there's some major trials in their life. He knows that Christianity itself is being attacked mercilessly. And so are these believers. And yet, he says, you know what? There's so many reasons to rejoice, guys. There's so many reasons to be filled with the joy of the Lord. We have so many reasons to be thankful and grateful to the God that saved us and loved us and gave us this glorious salvation. And he goes on to give them this hope and encouragement and saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. I know some of your family are being uh, uh, persecuted, but rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. I understand that you're threatened, your lives are threatened on a regular basis, but rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. I realize that you're tempted to lay down the banner, to put down the Bible. I know that you're tempted to walk away from the Christian life. But listen, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. And he's just encouraging them and helping them and trying to keep them in the battle and in the race. We said that because we have reason to rejoice, we said last week. And one of the reasons is, is because he began a good work in you. And he said he would perform it till the day of Jesus Christ in Philippians 1.6. Meaning basically, and we said that the moment, the very moment you were, you were permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God... The very moment that you trusted and received Christ, He, the Lord, that lives in you, began a work in your life. A, a work that will continue, He says, till the day of Jesus Christ, which is referring to the day that Christ returns for His church, His bride. And so that work has begun. And we said because that work has begun, and because the Lord will continue that work till the day He returns... That work of transforming, that work of, of conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. Because of that, 
we said no matter what you do, if you've been saved, God is still holding you. We said no matter where you are, if you've been saved, God is still there for you. And we said no matter, no matter where you are, and no matter who or what you've done, if you've been saved, God is still working on you. Aren't you glad? And we learn that truth, and that's a reason to rejoice. God's not giving up on you because you've fallen. God's not saying, I quit because you didn't do exactly what I said every time I said it. No, I began to work in you. I'm going to perform until the day of Jesus Christ. You may not be faithful to me, but I'll be faithful to you. That's what he's saying. And you know, I'm thankful today for the Lord to be, to, to be willing to work with me and to continue to conform me to the image of his son to the day that he returns or until the day that I die and I'm in his presence. That's a reason to rejoice as a believer. Man, but gas prices are soaring. They're climbing 32 cents this week. Yeah, but he began a good work in you and will perform until the day of Jesus Christ. And no matter how much the gas gets, I promise you, he's with you always. And that, that's a good reason to rejoice. But you don't realize I just read that crime's up in Akron. Yeah, well, that's... United States of America, man. I didn't read that. I just said that. But anyway, I, I'm just saying, I, I've, I've read something like that. Oh, that's all right. Don't worry about it. He began a good work and you will perform until the day of Jesus Christ. He, he indwelled you and he's working in your life. He's conforming you to the image of Christ and it will never end. He's always there for you no matter what happens, no matter where you're at. Boy, that's a reason to rejoice. So why rejoice, we said. And that was one of the reasons. The promise. The promise that he's with us and he began a work and he'll be with us to the end. Now, today we want to consider another reason to rejoice. We want to consider the prize. The prize. Good reason to rejoice. So take your Bibles, turn over to Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 through 14. I mean, we live in a world where there's, it's just upside down. We live in a world where sometimes it just feels like we're not on the winning side anymore. We're on the losing team. But let me tell you, we do win, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, and we are victorious in the end. And greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We don't have to worry about being overcome and defeated by Satan. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And we have a prize to look forward to. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Again, this book of encouragement, this book of rejoicing. Why rejoice? Well, the prize. Here it is. Chapter 3, verse 13 and 14 says... Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Isn't that good? (laughs) Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Today we're going to consider the prize. Well, we got so many reasons to rejoice, and we're going to take that little that, that passage there in verse 13 and 14 and just break it down just a little bit and understand where he's coming from just a little bit so that we can understand the bigger picture, that we have a good reason to rejoice. Amen. I don't care what the circumstances appear, how dark it seems to be getting in our world. As believers, we have good reason to rejoice, and one of the reasons is the prize. So let's have a word of prayer and look forward to what God's going to do. Father... We know that without you, we're nothing. We're the vine, you're the branches. And Father, except you supply us and meet our needs, Lord, we're never able to accomplish anything for your glory. God, we can't do nothing without you, the Bible says. Lord, so often we are quick to do things on our own, to take matters into our own hands. But Lord, help us to take our hands off the steering wheel today and allow you to do your work in our life, realizing that once again, Lord, without you, we're nothing. That we're not for the grace of God. Father, we'd be in a big mess today. Thank you, Father, for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Help us, Father, to listen closely, and may you change our lives. May the Holy Spirit of God do his perfect work in our lives today. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Philippians chapter 3, we read it already, verse 13 and 14. But the Apostle Paul says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Don't you love that passage where it says, forgetting those things which are behind? Don't you like that? We talk about things to rejoice about. I'll tell you what, it's good to be able to forget some things that are behind. That's a good thing. And so, first of all, we know forgetting the past failures. 
The Apostle Paul's speaking to these people there in Philippians, and there's a part there that he's you know, implying, and, and I'm sure that we can, take, uh, um, we can take inspirational license here and say, you know, because every passage has a doctrinal, inspirational, and, and um, um, I just lost it. Come on, Bible college students, help me now. Doctrinal, inspirational, that inspiration is less. Prophetic, thank you, bro. Thank you, Brother Dean. I'm glad somebody remembers their Bible college training or their Christian training. Very good. Okay, very good. Because we've had some Christian training. We teach some of that stuff. But nonetheless, that's good. And so we have those three applications. Well, I think we can take this application and make it today. I don't believe doctrinally it's what it's talking about, but I do think it's an inspirational application. We see the past failures of the Apostle Paul. And Paul's saying, you know, the past has no power over me. There's no power over me. You know, I'm free from its bondage and influence. I'm, I'm free to diligently pursue the present and the person of Jesus Christ right now. Amen. Aren't you glad that the Apostle Paul wasn't bound by his past? You think about what the Apostle Paul had done in his life. You know, if we just take a moment and we really think about what he did before he came to Christ, before that glorious day on the road to Damascus, if we think about what he did, there is no reason in the world why he should be writing this book to us, why God should be using him as an instrument to speak to us today. But the fact is, is that he had to forget those things which were behind. He had to put them in the past, and he had to leave them in the past. And may I say today, in your life and in mine today, there is good reason to rejoice as a believer in Christ, because we are no longer bound by our past. We are no longer victims of our past. We are more than victors in Christ, and we are able to overcome them if we simply leave them where God told us to put them in the past. So many times we dig up the past. We're the ones going around going, well, you just don't know what I used to be. You just don't know what I've done. You just don't realize where I've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. It doesn't matter what, you, what you've thought in your past life or what you did. I understand there are consequences for sin in life. And you may be paying forever with the scars of your sin. But let me tell you, God's not looking at you going, I can't use you. I can't do anything with you. Because you are a big loser. God doesn't see you that way today. I'm telling you, you may see yourself that way today. Mankind may see you that way today. Your mama or your daddy may see you that way today. Your grandparents may see you that way today, but God don't see you that way today. You have no excuse whatsoever as a believer in Christ to live your life like a defeated pup. Because you are more than a conqueror today. So he says, but I was a drug addict and, and I did some horrible, heinous things to my wife years ago. And I ended up in divorce and it was just a big mess. And I deserve everything that happened to me. I'm a big nothing. I'm a zero. God could never use me. That's because you don't know the Bible, friend. You've let the devil deceive you into believing somehow that you are, are useless to God. But let me tell you, God says, nah, you're not the same person you were anyway. You're a new creature in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You know, the one thing that's a little bit alarming to me today is that it seems today when folks do come to Christ today, they, they're not very quick to want to get out of the old life. They seem like they're very happy with it, content with it. It's like there's no conviction in our hearts. May I say to you today, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior and Jesus Christ moved into your life, there ought to be some conviction about sin in your life. If you don't experience conviction about sin, if there's not something telling you that what you're doing is wrong and you are just downright miserable because of it, then you just may have to double check and figure out whether or not you really meant business with God or not. Because when you mean business with God, I promise you this, He means business with you. And if He came and lived in you and permanently indwells you, there ought to be some conviction continuing in that old lifestyle. If there isn't, then there might be something wrong with what you think is salvation. Because I know in the Word of God that He tells us that He moves into our life. Now last time I checked, the children that are living in my home... They're in my home. They're in close proximity, which means that I have more access to them. That means when I see them, I can say, hey, you're not acting right. You're not living right. You're not doing right. You're right there close. I see everything you're doing. I hear everything you're saying. Let me tell you something. It's not good. Now, what they do with that's their business to some degree. That's the reality of it. But you know what? They're in my home. They're going to hear my voice. God's inside your home. He moved into your life. The Bible calls this a tabernacle. This is a house. This body is simply housing Him now. 
That means he lives in your home. Are you telling me that the God of heaven that is holy and perfect and righteous will never remind you of things you're doing wrong and not say to you while living in your home? That's not right. Don't you do that. Don't you say that. That's not honoring me. That doesn't glorify me, young man, young lady. That doesn't glorify me, middle-aged man or woman. That doesn't glorify me, senior citizen. No, that's not right. Are you telling me that I can be saved and the very God that lives in my home isn't going to say something to me when I don't do things that honor him? Biblically and scripturally, he says, oh, you can bet on it. I'll be speaking. So if you're not hearing God's voice in the midst of your sin, then one of two things is true. Your conscience is either seared to the point where you've just downright shut God out of your life and even living there, you've boxed him in so tight you can't hear a word he's saying. Or number two, you're just not his. And he's not living in you. And may I say, I am convinced more than ever that that's probably the bigger problem. Someone says, you're trying to get me to doubt what I did or my salvation? No, I'm trying to get you to, as the Bible says, to prove your salvation. Prove your, your own salvation. Consider it. Think about it. Ask yourself, does it line itself up with the Word of God? Can I look at Bible verses and say, I know I'm saved based on that word, that verse, that promise. I know what God says, and I've been compliant, and I've yielded, and I have fruit of evidence and evidence of the salvation in my life because I have evidence and, and fruit of His presence in my life. See, we're always looking to actions. Well, I go to church, so I must be saved. Really? I know a lot of people have gone to church. I know people have gone to church their whole life and were lost and finally realized they were saved, needed saved. Hey, church doesn't mean you're saved. Let me tell you something. It's something going on in here. And that's what the Bible says will be going on. Something will be going on in here. That, that's, now that, that's something we can hang our hat on because that's something God says will happen. A lot of people go to church and never saved. But you can't have the Holy Spirit of God speaking to you in your heart and not be saved. So I'm just saying we need to be very careful. We need to check that thing out. But I'm so glad today. That these past failures have been put under the blood. I'm so glad that this Apostle Paul, in spite of everything he had done, everything he had said, the many lives and families he had wrecked and ruined, he still was able to be used of God. How are you being used by God today? You say, but... <laughs> Excuses, right? We got a God bigger than anything and anyone living in us. He's the one saying, I'm validating you as a child of God. You're Amen. mine today. Amen. You're mine today. Amen. You know, and I don't care what anybody else says. If I send you out to do something, you've got my authority. But you don't understand. My family doesn't think that I'm worthy or I don't feel worthy. Well, quit being bigger than God and just let God be authority in your life. Because you can put those pasts in the past. You can leave the past in the past. You don't have to let it rule you, haunt you direct you and lead you. If Christ was willing to use such an abused, broken, and violated vessel, who are, who are we to refuse to be used by Him in our state? Not only do we see, you know, Paul here in this passage, you know, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, the, the thought, the idea of the past failures being left in the past, but we also see the past successes being left in the past. That's what he's really saying here. See, the Apostle Paul's writing this after his conversion. He's been being used by God in a mighty way. Years have taken place now. Years have transpired since the moment that he trusted Christ, since his life was transformed and changed, since he's been being conformed to the image of Christ, since, according to Philippians 1.6, God had begun a good work in him and was performing it till the day of Jesus Christ. Years have passed now. He has accomplished many things on behalf of Christ. He, is re he, he was rescued from sin on that road to Damascus. But from that very moment, he put his life into the hands of the Lord. And he was used in the service of the kingdom. He was responsible. I mean, this man was responsible for scores and scores of salvations. People were being saved as a result of his ministry. There were num numerous churches being started and planted as a direct result of his input and investment in Asia, Asia Minor. I mean, he had impacted life after life. He had laid a foundation 
tension in Christian living that is still in place today. And we're still building on the foundation that God used the Apostle Paul to lay, Paul to lay down in the early church. I mean, this is the man that's speaking here in this passage. When you consider the, the many places and the people that he had reached, it'd have been, it, it would have been very tempting for him, the apostle, to say, I have apprehended. I have arrived. I have come to the place where it's time for me to lay down the sword. It's time for me to sit back and have a seat and relax a little bit. I could, should go into a little bit of Christian retirement because, listen, let's face it, I've ran a bus route. I've seen souls saved. I've been involved in the Sunday school. I made uh, food for the, the afterglows. I've worked in that nursery. I've cleaned the church my whole life. I've been involved in the work of God. And I've seen God do mighty works. And it's my time to sit. It's my time to relax. It's my time to just take it easy. He could have done that. But no, not the Apostle Paul. No, not at all. He says, this one thing I do, here's what I'm going to do. This one thing is what I'm going to do. Forgetting those things which are behind. I'm not going to go ahead and rest on my laurels. I'm not going to say, I've done everything I can do. I'm not going to sit and say, there's not more work to be done. As a matter of fact, there's not just a little more work to be done. There's a lot more work to be done. He said, forgetting those things which are behind. In essence, he was saying this. The slate is wiped clean. It's as if I've done nothing for him. The fact is, is that although I've been used by God in a mighty way to reach Asia Minor with the gospel, although there are numerous churches that have been planted as a result of my efforts, and God has done a miraculous work in the lives of others because of my efforts, the fact is, is that there, it's as though I've accomplished nothing on behalf of Christ. It's as if the whole work and the world is still in great need of the gospel. There are still people outside of the Roman Empire that have never heard the gospel. There are still people that have never been reached for me. There are still people that have never been reached for the Lord. I need to start all over again to reach outside of that empire. I need to go to the Isles of Britain. I need to go to the barbaric Picts and the Scots. I need to go to the Huns and the Goths. I need to go around the world with the gospel. It's time to start all new and all fresh again. Instead, we want to sit down on our blessed assurance and watch the young people take over. Oh, I've done my job. I've done everything I can do. It's time for somebody else to do the work. And you know what that's born out of? That isn't a heart to see a young man step up and raised up to do God's work. That is out of a heart of laziness. The Apostle Paul says there is a work to be done. There is a world to reach. And until that world is reached, it's as though I've accomplished nothing for him. I've not arrived. I've not accomplished what he called me to do. There's still work to be done. We've got to get with it, he says. And he says, I'm forgetting about those past successes because that doesn't, not one person over there in Britain is going to be saved because I led somebody to the Lord in Asia Minor. Not one of them. Not one of those Goths are going to be saved and no church will be started over there simply because I led somebody to Christ in Asia Minor. Man, I'm telling you, I'm wiping it clean, he's saying. I'm forgetting those things which are behind, and I'm pressing for the mark of the prize of the calling of God in Christ Jesus. There's still a great work to be done. And let me say to you today, I don't care if you're 50, 60, 70, 80, or 35, and just retired with a million dollars in the bank. The fact is that the work of Christ is as though it's never even been started. And God's saying, you still got a work to do, friend. Just like the Apostle Paul said. Oh, we like to look at that passage and we like to consider it from the simple perspective of that our past failures are forgotten. But let me tell you, your past successes are forgotten too. And so are mine, according to the Word of God. Well, I've been pastoring a long time, so it's time for me to go to pasture. While some young man takes over. That's fine. That might be the case. There comes a point where Pastor O'Donnell will have to step aside and step down from this pulpit. Because if he doesn't, the church may die. There'll be a time when I have to admit to myself I'm not able to do what I used to do. I don't have the ability physically. Of course, I will always be smarter than any young man in the room. But the fact is, is that I, I, I can't accomplish what I'm, I've, ever, I've done. I can't keep the pace that I've kept. I can't get the work done that needs to be done. And I can't allow the church to suffer simply because a pastor needs a paycheck. You heard me right. Let me say this, stepping away from that pulpit 
or down from that pulpit doesn't mean that my Christian life has ended. The fact is, the Apostle Paul said, till the day he took his final breath, he ran the race that God had set before him. He ran. He didn't walk. He didn't crawl. He didn't get in a seat over here and take it easy while he said, well, it's time for someone else to do the work. No, he still was at it. Boy, those past successes. I'm glad. Brethren, I count on myself to have apprehended. I've not arrived yet. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. I'm, I'm forgetting the past failures because if I didn't, I'm telling you, the devil would cause me to go and be paralyzed with fear. And I'd stand before people realizing that I was the most wicked, vile, wretched sinner in the world. And God couldn't use me. But I forget those things. But not only that, but I'm forgetting those past successes. I'm never going to get to a place where I feel I've done all that needs to be done on my part. Because until every person is saved in this world, until every life has been transformed and changed, the work of God as though it's never begun, there's still the same work that needs to be done. I'm just going to transfer my vision from Asia Minor over here now. You may not be able to knock on doors. Maybe your legs don't work anymore and you can't get up steps as you knock doors. But let me tell you something, friend. You can still make a phone call. You can still write a letter. You can still email or text. You can still make an impact and a difference in trying to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, you still go to the grocery store? You can still pass out a track. You can still talk to somebody about Jesus. You don't have to knock on that door because your legs don't work like they used to. But let me tell you something, I bet your mouth does. And I bet you if I talk to your husband or your wife or if I talk to your kids or I talk to somebody else, they say, oh boy, does it work. <laughs> All I'm saying is let use it for God. You, you may step aside from what you've been doing, but let me tell you, you just take the vision and you move it here. But it's always there. Your past successes. And finally, the future prize. The future prize. I mean, we got reason to rejoice. See, none of you are obsolete today. Isn't that great? Isn't that fun? You, you say, I have no reason to rejoice. I'm older now. I can't do what I used to do. I feel like I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, I'm just, I can't do nothing. I hear that from older people all the time. And I think to myself, that's nuts. You may not be able to do what you used to do, but you can do something. So you, you don't have to worry about your past catching up to you and causing you not to be useful to God. You don't have to worry about getting too old or, or having a physical ailment or some kind of problem that says you're no longer needed or necessary. No, that, that's not the case at all. Those are good reasons to rejoice. Hey, you listen, you, you know what? You know when you want to die? When you feel there's no purpose in your life. If there's no purpose for living. You just don't want to be here. But let me tell you something. I don't care where you're at today. You have a purpose yet. Until the Lord takes that breath out of your body, He has a work and a purpose for you. Forget those things which are behind. Quit worrying about what you used to do and let's start getting worried about what we can do. Amen. And finally, the, the future prize. In, in this particular case, we, we notice Paul's motivation. I mean, he, he's saying, you know, okay, I haven't arrived. Uh, I, I got to admit, I count on myself to have apprehended. This one thing I do, though. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul the Apostle is pressing toward the mark for the prize. You say, what's the prize? Well, we know the prize is in our salvation, right? We already know that. We know that salvation is what? Eternal. And you, you don't get salvation by doing something. You receive salvation as a gift. So Paul's not saying that I'm pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm pressing toward that mark. I'm living my life for Jesus. I'm serving the Savior because I want to get to heaven. That's not what he's saying here. So it's not our salvation. That's not the prize. Because he already has that. But what he is talking about is this. He's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward. I'm pressing toward the mark for the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm pressing toward that day, that time, when I'm caught up into the very presence of Christ to hear him say, well done. Man, I can't. I mean, he's called me into the work. The prize is to hear him say, well done, thou faithful servant. See, you know what? We've we, we got to be careful here. Why do we do what we do? Someone says, what's the purpose for what you do? What's your motivation? Well, Paul says, my motivation is I want to hear him say, well done. 
My motivation is I want to get arrived safely on that shore, standing before my Lord without regret. I want to be able to face Him and know that I did my very best. My very best will never be enough. But I want to be able to say I've done my best. And I want so much to hear Him say, Well done. Man. Can you imagine arriving in heaven one day to hear Him say to you, the Creator of all the universe, the very one who saved you with an explicit purpose in life, to say, You know what? You've done everything the way I asked you to do it. Oh, you've confessed so many things and I've forgiven your sin. That's beyond. That's in the past. That's buried in the depths of the sea. But you've taken that purpose that I gave you in life and you have fulfilled it. You have continued to yield to my conforming. You've continued to allow me to to cause you to look and be more like my son Jesus. Oh, well done. Well done. Well, that's what it's all about. That's what we want to hear. To stand before him unashamed, ready to receive the victor's crown. Boy. See, that's why our race needs to be run carefully and faithfully so that we can obtain the prize. Oh, there will be rewards there. We understand that. There will be a number of crowns there. But the fact is, is that that well done. To please the one who placed us here. To please the one who sacrificed and laid down his life for us. Paul addresses that particular time in 1 Corinthians 3. Turn there if you would, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We see that day where he's going to stand before the Lord, where we'll all stand before the Lord as believers now. This is called the judgment seat of Christ. This isn't the same passage in the book of Revelation chapter 19, uh, or 20, excuse me, where we see the uh, great white throne judgment. This is a different judgment. This is a judgment that's taking place during the seven-year tribulation. Okay, so what's going to happen is, is we live in what's called the church age now. So we're in that time period presently, the church age. At this time, people are saved by grace through faith. You put your faith and trust in Christ. You're saved. You're forgiven. You're permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. You become the bride of Christ. Jesus Christ is going to come at the end of that time, that age, that that period of time, the church age. Blow a trumpet. Out we go. Out we go. Those that have put their faith in Christ. The rest are left behind on the earth. Okay, there's going to be a time then for seven years called the Great Tribulation Period, the Tribulation Period, okay? So we have the church age. We have the rapture of the church. We have this seven-year tribulation period now. While the seven-year tribulation period is going on, while the world is void of all believers, true believers in Christ, not religious people, there'll be plenty of religious people, but void of all true, true saved, born-again people, Christ, uh, the children of God, they're all up with him now. Those up there are going to be being judged at the judgment seat of Christ. It won't be a condemning judgment because our sin's already forgiven. It's been nailed to the cross of Christ. It'll be a commending judgment where he'll commend us for the work we've done. The problem is, have you ever gone to an award ceremony and never got anything because you never did anything to get it? Everybody else is getting awards and you didn't get one. You're thinking, why didn't I get one? I hate that feeling. I've been to at least one of those in my life. Maybe a few more. But anyway, so there I am, right? So, you know, you're like, man, I wanted an award. I wanted one. Can you imagine getting to heaven and not getting any rewards? God's, he's passing them out to everybody. You're not getting any. That'd be a pretty bad day, especially when those rewards are the ones you're going to humbly bow before the Lord and offer them at his feet. You have nothing to give him. So that judgment's taking place up here. Oh, it, the goal is to be commended, and that's the goal of the, the judgment. It's not to somehow... Lower the boom on people. God wants to be able to say, praise. This is a time of glorious praise. That's up to us how we respond, though, okay, in our life. But nonetheless, that's when it's taking place. While on earth, God's judging earth, and God's judging those that have shed the blood of the prophets. Up in heaven, there's this judgment seat of Christ taking place where the believers are. Now, here we have a picture of it. Notice, if you would, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. We'll read through verse 14. He says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The moment you were saved, you were placed on a firm foundation, the Lord Jesus. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. 
See, that's what we're talking about. There's a, there's a prize that awaits us, that, that well done. And then God sharing with us rewards. That's a wonderful thing. Now, again, in a sense, then, if we're building some things, notice there's a foundation. We're building on that foundation, he says. In a sense, we're kind of like contractors then, right? We're, we're, we're contractors. Contractors build things, do they not? If you're going to build a house, you need a contractor to help you build your house. Uh, in this particular case, over at the new building, we have a contractor that helps us with the work and organizes some of the labor, helps us to identify what we need to do and how to get it done, a contractor. It, um, so if you wish to build your life then, and, and you want it to stand the test of time, well, then you're going to need to be a certain kind of builder. So as a believer, what kind of builder do you need to be so that you can stand before the Lord one day unashamed? What kind of builder do we need to be in order to, to really truly hear him say well done and receive the rewards that he's going to give us and be able to cast them at the feet of Jesus humbly? Well, one, you need to be a competent builder. You need to be competent. You need to know what you're doing. You know how you become, you know how you know what you're doing in the Christian life? Study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study. Notice it didn't say just read the Bible. You've got to study the Bible. You, you know what one of the downfalls of the local church is? And you want to know why there's so many battles between pastor and people? Because people do not know what the Bible says most of the time. They think they know what the Bible says because somebody told them this is what it says. Now listen, I'm not trying to be mean. Listen, you need to know what the Bible teaches. You personally need to dig into the Word of God. You need to know what God's Word says. And listen, if the pastor's speaking and preaching from the Word of God, check it out, man. You, have, you ought to do that. By all means, look up those verses. By all means, dig into the Word of God. But you be real careful getting on that Internet, though, and Googling something, and you're reading something from the Mormon church, you're reading something from the Church of Christ, you're reading something from some denominational or some, uh, some new evangelical church, and you're going, hey, man, um, I have something my pastor said. Hey, by the way, uh, be careful what you read, because everything you read isn't true on the Internet. Amen. You better be real careful the source. I'll give you a good rule of thumb. If they don't have a King James Bible they're using, you might not want to spend as much time reading what they have to say as you do somebody that does. Let me just tell you, be careful with that. I'm just saying, you, you better be real careful because who you read after is who you'll become. I, I've watched it happen, even in our church. I've watched it, good, solid young men in our church, Bible college graduates in our church, that have gone ahead and taken courses over at Liberty University over there. You know that big school over there? You know the one that has the big rallies for American stuff and does probably a lot of good works socially? Let me tell you something. They've gotten online, got courses from that university. They're not King James. They have no standards. And next thing you know, they're saying, I don't think the King James Bible is as important as it needs to be. It, it, it used to be. I don't think that there are any dress standards anymore. I don't think there should be any holiness standards anymore. I don't think the moral laws is as important as it used to be. Hey, you know, there's something wrong with that. You know what happened to them? It's not they're bad people. They're good folks, good, good, good guys. But they got following the wrong people. Listen, don't think for a minute you're bigger or better or anything than they are. If these Bible college students that are sharp could fall into a trap like that, guess what? You could too. And by the way, it's a bad place to be. Now listen, we got to get out of here. we got to move quick. Competent builder. A character builder. You need to be a character builder. Or, in a sense, building your own character. See, you either cut corners or you'll do it right the first time. When it comes to the Christian life, you know how many chances you get, really? I know we get a bunch of chances in life, but you know how many chances at life you get? I mean, by the time you stand before the Lord, are you going to get any other opportunities to, to make it right? No. Only one life to soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You only get one shot at life. Oh, in the midst of life, there are a number of pitfalls, and we can trip and fall, and, and the righteous man falls seven times and riseth up again. I understand that, and thank God that our past is buried in the depths of the sea. Thank God we're not ruled by our past anymore. But the fact is, you get one shot at life, and once this breath leaves your body, it's done. That's it. The book stops right there. That's the last and final chapter. One chance. You better do it right, and you better do it with all your might. 
The Bible says, Whatsoever thy hand find to do, do it with thy might. For there's no work, no device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest, Ecclesiastes 9.10. In 2 Timothy 2, it says, Therefore, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if any man also strive for the masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. Amen. He's got to strive the right way. He's got to do it God's way can't do it his way. It only matters if you do it God's way. you got one life to live, friend. And here's the bottom line. Listen to this statement very carefully. The Lord gave it to me the other day because I kind of out of football camp, you know, one of those deals. I, got, I got, got thinking about this with the boys. The price always precedes the prize. We want the prize, but we don't want to pay the price. But the price always precedes the prize. You know, we want the prize of the high calling of God. We want to hear well done. We want God to, to, to lavish us with rewards that we can ultimately humbly cast at His feet. All of us do, I hope and trust. But the fact is, is that the price always precedes the prize. We want it easy. A character builder. And then also a careful builder. Careless construction always leads to problems down the road, doesn't it? You can get careless. It'll lead to problems down the road. I'm not talking about just an oversight. I'm talking about being careless. I'm talking about knowing that you're not doing it right and you're just doing it wrong. Be very careful you don't allow yourself to do that. See, it's not just building on the right foundation that matters. It's building the right things upon the foundation. Go ahead, build those homes of wood, hay, and stubble. Build all that stuff. But he says that'll all be burned up. You're building on the right foundation. You're just not building the right things. Don't get caught building the wrong things. Don't get caught doing that. And I'm going to deviate here and I'm going to close. And all I'm going to say is this. If there's one thing that you can do in your life, for your family, your children, your grandchildren, there's one thing you can do. It's, it's, it's not be the best pastor in the world. It's not be the best evangelist in the world. It's not be the best missionary in the world. It's not to be the most notori- notable deacon or trustee or, or, or Sunday school teacher in the church or to be the best, quote, soul winner in the church. No, that's good. Those things may be good in, in, in their place. You know what the one thing you ought to do? The, the best thing you can do for your children, grandchildren, and others around you is to have legitimate, honest, sincere genuine Christian faith lived out in your life. Don't you lie to your children, your grandchildren, your wife, your husband. Don't lie to the government. Don't lie to the pastor. Don't lie to your friends. Don't don't cut corners when it comes to ethical issues. Don't, listen, the other day, somebody, we we went down here, um, I don't know where it was now. I always forget people. I always remember things. I try to forget things like people because I don't want to remember what people do so that when I see them, I don't have to worry about thinking about that. But anyway, somebody gave me, uh, oh, we, we had a bill come out. And on the bill, they, they didn't charge us. Oh, it was up, it was up at a, a restaurant. Now I remember the situation now. It, it, they gave us, I took my family, just two of my, uh, one of my family out. Um, I can't remember. I think it was Megan and Brad. So Sherry and I and Megan and Brad were there. And uh, when we got the bill, they didn't put on a salad bar. One of the salad bars wasn't there. She didn't put it on there. Not my fault, right? But listen, I always look at my bill. Because I want to make sure they ain't ripping me off. I'm funny like that. I mean, 10 cents in my pocket is just as good as 10 cents in yours. So I looked at it and I, I realized that my wife, actually my wife saw it first. She goes, see, they, they, I think they shorted us a salad bar. We, we ordered three and they only put two down. And I went, oh, tough luck. It's the first thought that came to my mind. Tough luck. That's her job. She should know what she's doing. I, mean, I, I thought it for a second. I started walking up to the counter. And the Lord's just like, are you really a Christian or not? Are you really what you claim to be? You're just playing a game. You just do it when it looks good. I went ahead and... And the girl came up and I said, excuse me. She goes, here, that'll be. And I said, no, hold on. I said, I want you to look at the bill real quick. I said, you only have two down here. You see these two? We had three salad bars. She went, great. And she did exactly what I'd hoped she would. 
forget it. That's my mistake. Forget it. And I said, yes. <laughs> Christian character. Now listen to me. I could have eased, I would, she'd have never known the difference. But I got thinking about this. What if my daughter's son knew the difference? What if they knew what I did? I can stand up and preach all day long about this faith and tell them how wonderful it is. Tell them how God moves me and works in my life and what God's doing in my ministry. But what if they saw me do that? You know what I just became? A hypocrite. Why should they do what I say when I don't have what I claim I have? When it's not lived out in my life? And all I want to encourage is this. Press toward the mark for the prize. It's a reason to rejoice. But when it's all said and done, the bottom line isn't always what you're doing. It's who you are. Work on being godly. Work on being honest and sincere. Work on being truly a child of God in every facet. Oh, we're not perfect. We all will stumble and fall from time to time. But don't allow that to give you an excuse to just not try. Work at this because your children and mine are watching. Your grandchildren are watching. And in the end, when you lay on that deathbed and you take your final breath and I take mine, they'll be able to say, they were truly a Christian. In their heart, they'll say it. Oh, they'll say it with their lips, but in their heart, they'll say it. Not just with their lips, but with their heart, they'll say that. And they'll mean it in here. You ever say to somebody that's laying there, oh, they were a good Christian, they were faithful to church, but down deep you're going, but I know they gambled. I knew they did this and this. They drank and they, they swore or they did this and did that. I mean, you ever been, I, I'm sorry, but you ever been, I'm telling you, it's more important who you are than what you do today. And the Apostle Paul wanted to be genuine, honest and sincere. Let's be that kind of person as we face life. I don't know, I kind of got off track there, but I just feel that the Lord would have me say that today because obviously there's a need for it in this room and there's a need for it in my own life. God help us to be real. Quit playing games with God because when we stand before Him one day, we're not fool Him. It's not just building on, it's what we're building. Father, we come to You.